So we're going to jump into the book of Revelation today. I don't know if you guys have been looking forward to this or dreading this or whatever, but today is the day we, we go from the first book, Genesis. We spent last semester going through Genesis. Going to go way to the very last part of our Bibles, the book of Revelation. Today we start a journey through the book of Revelation. But before we jump in to, that, uh, to reading that text, I, I want to just put something in your mind. I want you to think, what is the most epic story that you can recall. Like, it could be the best book you've ever read. It can be the best movie you've ever seen. Go ahead and just think. It could be even be a, a fable or fairy tale, you know, that your parents told you when you were little. What, what's your favorite? And just to make this not abstract, go ahead and think of it and tell somebody next to you what, what it is. What's your favorite story? Favorite story of any kind? Lock one in. Okay, so we've got an array, I am sure, a crazy array of answers to that question around the room. But one thing I'm pretty sure of, um, of the vast majority of stories that were just, you know, whispered to the person uh, next door there, um, one of the things that I think would be true of all of them is that they have an incredible ending. And here's the reason I know that to be true, is because... If you ever get to the end of a book or a story and it just has a terrible ending, you hate that story. You hate that movie, right? You're like, all these loose ends, all these things I've been waiting, waiting, you know, and you get to the end and if it's terrible, you're like, well, I'll never get that, you know, two hours back out of my life or whatever, you know, or if it's some big Steinbeck novel, well, I'll never get those 40 days of my life back or whatever, you know, like you get to the end and you're like, are you kidding me, right? But conversely though, right? When you get to the end of a just magnificent story and they're actually able to bring every loose end together and in fact, when it comes together in a way you never thought that it would, you're like, no way. You know, you can't wait to find somebody else that's seen that movie or read that book or whatever to talk about it because it's just so great, so classic. Um, I, you guys, maybe this is close to heart. Maybe the reason I want to talk about it is because um, for me, I'll just tell you what mine, my, mine would be, the Godfather and whatever you think about that. Uh, it's, it's my favorite. So anyway, so I watched, I watched The Godfather 3 not long ago. They changed the ending. Changed the ending of the third movie. How do you do that? Then I found out it was the guy that made the movie that made that decision. I'm still like, no, you can't do that. That's terrible. You know, anyway, so cl- anticlimactic, terrible, new ending. Anyway, here's what I'm saying. The best stories actually that came to mind are actually stories that run closest to the story that God gave us in the Bible. It's just, that, it's just true. And in fact, this story, this great big long story that took generations to finally conclude is, is the greatest story of all time and has the greatest ending. Because one of the reasons that this story continues to be told and retold and retold is because of the ending, the epic, climactic, pull everything all together kind of story that you've always longed for. That's what we're going to be reading. That's what we're going to be discovering, right? And here's the most compelling part about that. It's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. It's not fiction. It's true. It's 100% true. And we need it desperately. We're going to find out how much we need to lean in and understand the way that the story comes to a a climactic ending. So if you were around last semester, you know we started this book, started in Genesis, 
and in the very beginning, God makes everything. There's a creator God. And when he gets done making everything, it is good. And it's not just good. That, word, that Hebrew word good doesn't just mean like complete or done. It means like beautiful, like ah, just as it is. In fact, you get to the very ending of the creation story, and he says it's very good. Like in Hebrew, if you want to really emphasize something, you just repeat that word. So it's good, good. <laughs> you get to the end of the creation story, it's, it's good, good. It's ah, shalom, like everything as it should be. Well, you remember, you turn, turn one page in the book, and you find out that mankind just vandalizes the good, good of Eden, of everything that, that, that was right. We vandalize it. We, we disobey. In fact, by the time you get to the end of chapter 3, way at the beginning of this book, at the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, mankind is banished from that place of good, good. In fact, there's, there's like an angel that, that's set there to keep mankind from getting close to that tree of life that was supposed to, you know, kind of lock in this existence of good, good, and now we're banished in a way, and all of us live east of Eden. But now what we're going to find is that God has a way to resolve all that. So if you've got your Bible, I'm going to start way in the back. I'm going to go to Revelation 21. Um, Kind of this is this is where you know maybe it makes you mad when people tell you the ending, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to tell you how this thing ends. Um, chapter twenty-one, verse one says this: Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a new one, right? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne: Look. God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. Like, this is, this is epic because we ended the, the bad news of Genesis 3 with us being banished from God, and now all of a sudden God is with mankind. He's going to continue to repeat that idea. God with us. They will be his peoples. God himself will be with them. He'll be their God. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death, no more. Grief, crying, pain, no more. Those previous things, nope, passed away. Because the one seated on the throne says, look, I'm making everything new. Everything's going to get back to the way it ought to be. I'm going to flip over to chapter 22. And, and that's where it says, he showed me this river of the water of life. Remember Genesis had this beautiful river. It broke into other rivers and just life-giving, flourishing. This one's clear as crystal. It's even better. Flowing from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of the city's main street. And there's the tree of life on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit bearing its fruit every month. So now, not only do we go from being banned from getting to the singular tree of life, we get to the end of this book, and now it's not just a singular tree. Now he puts a whole grove of trees. In fact, the trees just line this incredible river, and, and every month the, the, the tree bears a different kind of fruit. Why is that? Because he wants to keep enticing us back over and over and over. Keep coming, keep coming. Next month it'll bear something else, and that'll be even better than what we've ever had before. So keep coming, keep coming, just begging us to just enjoy his presence, God with us, and just lavishing us with, with his goodness. Every loose end comes together at the end of this book. Everything that was um, good but got destroyed comes back and back bigger and greater than ever. So, so let's jump in to the beginning of Revelation. Let's see how he begins to tell us the story of how it all comes together in that climactic ending. Okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to start in Revelation 1. We're going to read the, this, this chapter, but as we go... Um, chapter 1 does a really beautiful job of leaving us some 
signposts along the way. They're going to help guide us through the whole rest of this book. So if you've ever read through the book of Revelation, you know there's some, some you know, difficult parts. There's some things that are a little bit hard to understand. So, so we need some guideposts to make sure we're not wandering off the path, make sure we're staying right, right, you know, our true north. And that's what we're going to do as we go through the book of Revelation. Um, in fact, here's the way he starts. This is crazy. The revelation of Jesus Christ, it says, that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. You guys, just I will stop for a second, because do you realize this is the only book in the whole Bible? 66 books. This is the only book in the whole Bible that offers you a special blessing if you will just read it, hear it, and obey it. Gives you a blessing if you'll read it, like we're doing right now. I'm reading it to you. Maybe you should go home and over these next weeks, read it out loud, the different sections. Read it out loud. It's a blessing. You're going to receive a special grace gift from God. And then if you hear it, if you're listening to it, if you come and, and, and listen to the word, and if you, you know, on your own, sitting back home, just take in the word, and especially then if you keep it, obey it, follow it, you cling to it, right? One of the ways that we're um, really blessed to be able to do this, by the way, really, really quick shout out, because um, you've seen these before. We've got these scripture notebooks. It's a, it's a cool way because the, the book, like this is the book of Revelation. It's got the text of the Bible on one side and then these open journal pages on the other. That's so you can scribble on it, really dig into it, really learn, really lean in. Anyway, one of our members of our church family bought a whole bunch of these, and they're available for free to you. Anybody that really wants to dig into the book of Revelation, you can have one of these things for free back at the resource center afterwards. So, Because I think it was somebody that really was like, no, let's, let's dig in. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's do this. So if you want one afterward, just go back and ask for one, and you can, you can get one. But that's, that's a beautiful thing. God's just saying, come on, read, read, read. I want to teach you, okay? So if we really want to do that, if we really want to read this aloud, hear it, and, and keep it, let's give them our full attention. Will you, will you stand with me? I'm going to read the last part of, of the book of Revelation 1. <clears throat> Revelation 1, I'm going to start now in verse 4, because here's where he says, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus. I was in an island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, 
dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze and fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He, he laid his right hand on me and he said, Oh, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you've seen, what is, and what will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So let's, let's start looking for these signposts. What, what, does, what does this first chapter do to help us navigate through, through the rest of the book? And the very first signpost that, that we need to keep looking for through every chapter is this. Guys, keep your eyes Fixed on Jesus. This book is going to just rivet our attention on Jesus like maybe no other book in the whole Bible. And I'm including the Gospels. I'm including every New Testament. I'm saying this book is going to declare the greatness of Jesus like no other book you've ever read in your entire Bible. He is the one holding, in fact, this whole story together. He is the one that was promised way back in Genesis 3 when, when all of a sudden he's like, no, 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 there's going to come one who's going to be able to conquer the evil one and, and restore all this. That's the one who came to us. He's the one who came to We just celebrated Christmas, right? He's the one that came to us just as he said that he would to, to, to walk with us, to teach us, to, to die and rise again. He's the one now that's going to be coming back. This Jesus is the one holding this entire book together, Genesis to Revelation, we've got to have our focus just riveted on Jesus Christ. I, I love how he's introduced, I mean, several times throughout even these first 20 verses, but look at that in, in verse 5, from Jesus Christ, he's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, and he, he loves us, and because he loves us, he set us free from our sins by his blood, right? It's just, look, look down in verse 18. He says, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead. But look, like, that's, by the way, one of the most repeated words in Revelation is this word, look. It's almost like you're getting distracted. No, 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 look, look, look. Look at, look at Jesus, right? And when you look at Jesus, you find out he is alive forever and ever and actually holds the keys of death and Hades. Hades is another word for the grave. He holds the keys. We need to look to him. So, so important. Well, you might say, well, that seems pretty obvious. Look to Jesus. Like, did I need to come here, you know, to have you tell me and look for Jesus? Yeah, I, here's why I, I want to say it. It's because, you guys, sometimes Christians start reading through the book of, of Revelation, and they get distracted by a whole lot of other stuff, and Jesus kind of fades into the background. Like, even just, I, I took a little toe in the water to see what people are saying these days about the second coming of Christ and all that, and we get all preoccupied, guys, and so at one point, there's this, this symbol of a bear that comes up in the book of Revelation. And some people are like, the bear, you know what? That's Russia. Russia is the bear. 
wait a minute, if you take the name Vladimir Putin, and if you take the letters in Cyrillic and add up the numbers, you get all those added together, and you know what it adds up to? 666, exactly, right? Well, actually, no, it doesn't, but that's the stuff, right, that's out there. You can say anything you want, you know, on the internet. You're like, no way, you know? What's crazy is that used to be said back, back in the 80s, uh, back in the 80s, they, the same kind of story was going around, but this time it was Mikhail Gorbachev, the last, like, premier of the whole Soviet empire, right? Here's what was crazy about Mikhail Gorbachev. He also had this big, weird birthmark on his head, sign of the beast. Are you kidding me? Like, wrap it up. This is happening. You know, like, I'm just saying, we get so preoccupied trying to find all these little minutiae and getting all these tributaries that all of a sudden, you guys, we're talking about all sorts of stuff, and Jesus kind of fades into the background. We're watching the news. We're watching these symbols. We're adding up numbers. We're doing all this on the internet. You guys, you know, and all of a sudden, Jesus, like, has, has left the scene. You guys, this whole first chapter is actually written like a doxology to Jesus, and that's what's crazy. Usually doxologies are written at the end of books, not to him who's able, right? Those are at the end of books, like all praise to Jesus. He, he pulls a bunch of doxology-type verses right in the first chapter because he's saying, guys, everybody rivet your attention on Jesus Christ. There is so much worship through the book of Revelation, you guys. There's so many songs written through the book of Revelation so many epic poems that we're going to discover through the book of Revelation and all of them about Jesus. And, and interestingly, even though it's about the return of the king, the number one title given to Jesus in the book of Revelation is actually he being the lamb, the lamb that becomes the king. We're going to learn so much about what Jesus has done for us. Like he says, out of his love, taking our sins away by his blood, Jesus Christ is the promised one. He's the one setting us free. Now he's the coming king. You guys, if we get to the end of this book and we have not somehow expanded our, our ability to worship, we will have missed it all. Somehow our, our capacity to worship that the bigness of our capacity to worship Jesus, to see him with more glory and dominion and honor, if that doesn't happen, we will have failed, just boldly failed on our journey through Revelation. It's all about Jesus. Okay, so we've got to keep that as a signpost. If you ever get distracted, if Jesus ever somehow gets into the back seat, you've got to stop what you're doing and get, get right back to, to discovering Jesus. Okay, Second signpost that we're going to look for. We've got to keep the church on task. Keep the church on task. Now, this one might not be quite as evident, but I, I want to prove this to you. Just to keep on task, here's what I mean by keep on task. Be focused on the objective, right? The church has been given an objective, a, a, a true north. We can't get distracted. We know exactly what we're supposed to do. We've got we to gotta stay the course on that. Now, where do I get that? Well, I want you to look again at verse 4. If you've got your Bible, look at it again at verse 4. Who is the book of Revelation written to? This is like a basic question. Who's the book of Revelation written to? Churches, right? These seven churches. So he says that, write this, <coughs> excuse me, to these seven churches, and then later on, he'll list them. Oh, here's the seven churches. In fact, we turn the page to chapter 2. He's going to have a special note to each one of those seven churches to demonstrate just how emphatically saying, oh, no, I'm talking to these specific churches. But the real key to this, I think, is, is one of the first big images that we have in the book of Revelation. Look, look at verse 12 again with me, because 
he, he's trying to hear, you know, where, where this voice is, is coming from. He turns to see where the voice spoken to me, verse 12. And when I turned, I saw these seven golden lampstands. First really cool image. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. That's Daniel language, prophet Daniel language, Son of Man, glorious Messiah, Son of Man. Dressed in a robe with golden sash around his chest. And then later on, when you go down to verse 20, he says this. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in his right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Wow, really getting cool and mystical and mysterious here. One, (coughs) um, the angel of the churches, you guys, is it possible that every church actually has an angel that's like assigned to that church to guard it and watch over it? Isn't that kind of a cool thought? I think that's possible. I think that's what he's saying. Like, there's an angel. Is there an angel assigned to Veritas Church? Isn't that kind of a, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, at least, I don't know how else to understand that, right? But the, the bigger thing that makes real clarity is, that, like, oh, I don't, I don't want you to be, you know, misunderstand what I'm saying about these lampstands. These lampstands are actually the churches. And when you see the lampstands, so, so, you know, just think of like a big, tall, you know, kind of candlestick and a lamp, a, a candle lit lamp on the top. And in the middle of that is Jesus, right? That's what he says. And he's walking around. What's that imagery supposed to be? Here's what he's saying. Jesus is walking around among his churches. And he's actually looking in on what's going on. He's actually listening in of what's going on. In fact, when we get to the next couple chapters where individual letters are written to these, you know what the most repeated phrase is in those letters? I know. Hey, Smyrna, I know. Hey, Pergamum, I know. Like, he's fully aware of what's going on in his churches because he's like the senior pastor of every church, right? He's the one that's actually the one that's guarding. He's the ultimate authority of every church. And, and the idea is he's walking around and looking at what's going on because he wants to know, are his churches on task? Well, if that's true, you guys, if it's true that Jesus actually assigns an angel to each church, and if he himself is walking around listening in and observing each church to make sure they're on task, doesn't it make sense that we figure out what that task is, (laughs) right? Like, if that's what he's actually doing, apparently that's what he's doing. What is that task? So I want to be refreshed on that. I want you to go with me back to the book of Acts, and I'll have this on the screens as well, but if you've got a Bible, go back to Acts chapter 1, because this is a pretty fascinating passage that will be like a, a, a real big arrow pointing us to Revelation 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has, you know, in the Gospels just preceding this, uh, taught the Gospel, lived among his people, died, resurrected, but this is before he actually ascends to heaven. He has this conversation. In verse 6, it says, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, so when they had come together, his disciples with Jesus, they asked him, Lord, okay, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Like, is it, is it going to happen? So you, you've been telling us about the thrones. Wait, did I, did I hear you say that we get a throne too? Is this the time? Like, you're going to, you know, Peter's like, is it time for my throne? You're going to put me on a throne? You know, like, he's, is this it? Is this the time? Is this where it's all going to unfold? And he said to them, actually, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But, you know, and I love this. This is just classic Jesus. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to answer that. Anyway, let me tell you what you really need to know, right? How many times in the Gospels do you have this moment where he's actually not going to answer what they think they need to know? He's going to tell them what they actually need to know, right? And at this point, he's like, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. Not for today. Here's what you need to know, okay? But 
You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. And I underlined witnesses. I circled that. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. That's our task. So after he said this, he was taken up. As they were watching, they taken up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they're gazing, right? Can you imagine? They're gazing into heaven. Suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them, and they said, men of Galilee. Okay, you guys, I, don't know, I just always love picturing these moments. Like, can you imagine? You've just got this, you know, thing dumped on you, and now you're watching him. He's ascending, and, get, and all of a sudden, two dudes are like, Hey, you guys, you're like, oh, man, angels, would you stop doing that? You're like just appearing, you know what I mean? Just so shocking, you know? And he's like, and that's intentional. Like he's, these angels are trying to like shock them to attention exactly so. Men of Galilee, why do you stand, stand here looking up into the heaven? This same Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, and he will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Okay. Goes up in a cloud. What did we just read in Revelation chapter 1? Look, he is coming from where? The clouds. Like, in the same way that this literal Jesus, right before your eyes, went up into heaven, into the clouds. In that same way, he's coming back. But in between those two times, okay, before he comes back, literally, for us, comes back, you've got a job to do. Be my witnesses. That's our task. Guys, we're to be lampstands brightly shining the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got one job. It's to be a witness to the gospel. Tell us everything. Tell the world everything about Jesus. That's our job. So there might be some things, you guys, through this book of Revelation that are complicated that we don't all necessarily agree on. I promise you there's going to be some things that we don't all agree on, okay? One thing has to unite us. Guys, Veritas Church has one task. It's to be a light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our job. When Jesus walks around and looks in, right, and listens in, Veritas Church, we have to be the kind of church that is a witness of Jesus Christ. Now, what's a witness? What's a witness? Witness is somebody that just tells what they've seen and heard, right? If, if there's a car accident or something and you were there, you're called to be a witness. Hey, what happened? I, I don't even know your opinion. I, I just need to, what exactly happened, right? That's what a witness is. We don't make this stuff up. We just tell. Oh, here's what I know to be true. Here's what Jesus is. Here's what he came to do. This is, you know. Well, here's what's crazy about that, that word witness. Some of you know that the, the Greek word, the original Greek word that we're looking at for the word witness is actually our English word, martyr. Martyr, someone who dies for their faith. Why is that? Well, you know, it didn't used to be like that all the way up until it was used this way in the New Testament. And here's what happened. So many Christians gave witness, just told what was true about Jesus, to the point where a whole bunch of people got tired of hearing about this, and they killed them to silence them. That happens so many times and so often that the word witness and the word martyr became synonymous. Isn't that incredible? That, that happened because of what Christians did in their witness of Jesus Christ. Because here's what they're saying. Look, I can't help but tell you what is true. I'm just telling you who Jesus truly is and that he's coming back. And I believe it so much. You can try to silence me. You can even take my life I'm just telling you it's true. I'm just a witness, right? Guys, you go through the book of Acts, 
So many times, the one that witnessed about Jesus gave their lives. Every one of the apostles gave their lives. We're meeting John here in Revelation 1. He's the only one left. He's the only apostle that's left alive. But where is he? He's like on Alcatraz. This island he's on is like a prison cell, so he can't leave. They're trying to silence, silence, silence. So his, his disciple, so Jesus discipled John. John discipled this guy, Polycarp. I noticed none of the babies up here were named Polycarp. What a miss. What a fail. Come on, somebody named their baby Polycarp. Polycarp uh, was a disciple of John and just kept witnessing, witnessing, witnessing. So now another generation. Here, here's what happened. They finally just, he's in his 80s by the time they finally got him. Kept just witnessing everywhere. They caught him at this farmhouse, and they went up to Polycarp, and they're, and they're like, okay, we got you. You got to silence you. He's like, oh, yeah, you do have me. Can I get you some tea? Can I get? Started serving them the way Jesus would, right? He's not trying to run. He's not trying to plead. He's just, can I? Starts giving hospitality, and these, these guys actually sit down with him and, and so that he can witness to them about Jesus. They finally like, what are we doing? We got to get this guy. So anyway, they finally get him. They, they get him before the, the magistrate, and the magistrate says, you got you to deny Jesus. We're tired of hearing about this. You got to deny Jesus. Here's what Polycarp said. You know, if you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then I think you pretend that you don't know who I am. Hear it plainly. I'm a Christian. He didn't say, I'm Polycarp. Do you know who I am? No, no, no. He said, I'm a Christian. You know why? Christian equals sign witness. If you think I can deny what I'm telling you, then you don't understand the meaning of the definition of the word Christian. Guys, if we're Christians, we're to be witnesses. No matter what pressure, no matter what comes our way, we are witnesses. Being a Christian church means we are prepared to witness. We have a, a lamp post, a lampstand to let the message of Jesus Christ go on. You guys, when I think of some of the petty things that churches get preoccupied with, what they're known for, like if Jesus were to write a letter to us, the way that he starts writing the letters to Ephesus, etc., what would he write to Veritas Church? And you guys, here's what we need to hope and pray, that he'd look in and say, oh, I can see that you're a witness, because that's what I'm looking for, Right? It's our one job, you guys, to be a witness, one task, and here's why. It's because here's the last signpost that we've got to be looking for as we go through the book of Revelation. The reason we've got to be a witness is because, guys, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back in the same way that it is true that God made all these things and promised us a Messiah. The reason it's true that we just celebrated Christmas, that the Messiah came. The reason it's true that we're going to celebrate Easter, that he died and rose again, that all those things are true, historically true. In that same level of truth, Jesus is coming back. He's really coming back. We're going to see him with our eyes, right? Every eye will see him. It is true. It is the epic ending, and he will come in glory and dominion. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we ready? Are we ready? Guys, if this is where this whole thing is going, if Jesus is actually really coming back to be the king of kings and lord of lords, are, are we ready? We say, well, well, I got to be ready. So when are we gonna? Are you gonna give us the decoder ring so we know exactly? You know exactly what's gonna happen. No, Here, here's what the way that Lewis said it. You know, it's pre precisely because we cannot predict the moment that we must be ready at all moments. See, Jesus is gonna say, it's not up to you to know when you be ready. 
Make that lampstand burning brightly, constantly witnessing, because you don't know when he's coming. We are, we're just to rehearse it. Over. You guys, every New Testament writer points us to this. Even every time we take communion, guys, the Bible says every time we take communion, we celebrate the Lord's death. You know what the next phrase is? Until he comes. Even when we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, we're to do that in light of his second coming. So how is it that we start losing focus on the second coming of Christ? Why aren't we thinking about it more, right? We've got to just be rehearsing over and over and clinging to the truth that Jesus Christ is coming back. Do you know, in fact, guys, historically through the ages, do you know who, what people group has clung most to the book of Revelation? Who just held on to it tenaciously, white-knuckled? It's not the people looking for the Dakota rings that are looking for Russian Vladimir Putin. No, no, no. That's just weird. That's, that's just out there, you know. No, the ones clinging to the book of Revelation are the ones who are suffering. They believe in Jesus so much, and they believe so much that, the, that he's coming back for them, that they just cling to it. In fact, um, they start singing. So many songs in the book of Revelation, we sing them. We sing them. We just passed the anniversary. January 1st was the 250th anniversary of the song Amazing Grace. Probably one of the most famous songs of any genre of all time, Amazing Grace. Do you know why people cling to that song? Because it's written by a guy. He used to be a slave trader. He was a pathetic worm of an individual. But Jesus saved him. Cleaned him up, saved him. And so he wrote that first verse, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. He means that with all his heart. A wretch like me got saved because of Jesus' love. It's crazy. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. But now having come to Christ, he took a lot of hits. In fact, he went from being a slave trader to one to trying to abolish slavery, became a pastor of a church proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in England. And so he wrote this, this word, these phrases, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's grace that's brought me safe thus far, and it's grace that will lead me home. And people that really believe in the grace of Jesus Christ and believe with all their hearts that he's coming back for them one day, they sing this song with tears coming down their faces. They believe it with all their hearts. This got me on a whole thing, you guys. I started, I started going back, and when I first became a believer back in the 80s, yeah, um, I'm that old, back in the 80s, and there was this whole genre of songs about Jesus' second coming. This is one song. Here's, here, let me just read the words. The sky shall unfold, preparing his entrance. The stars shall applaud him with thunders of praise. The sweet light in his eyes shall enhance those awaiting, and we shall behold him face to face. Oh, we shall behold him. We shall behold him face to face in all his glory. You guys, I went back and I started listening to that song, this like hokey 80s song, and I'm sitting at my kitchen counter and I'm, I'm just crying my eyes out. This is just like two days ago. I'm just crying my eyes Teresa comes in. She's been out getting groceries or something. I'm sitting there just crying. I'm like, give me a second. Hold on. You're like, but you know what? Let, let me tell you something. Guys, people that sing those songs, that's not just weak sentimental, shallow escapism kind of stuff. I'll tell you what the people that sing those songs, that's real faith. That's real gospel-fueled, Jesus-anchored faith. That's what that is. People that get preoccupied with the second coming believe that Jesus is coming back. 
And we, when that happens, I can endure anything. I can go through whatever because he has promised he's coming for me, right? And I'm going to witness and I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus because it's true and it's real. The question is, do you believe it? Look, guys, do you believe this book? Do you believe that there's a creator that, that set all this in motion? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he promised a Messiah that actually came here in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he, that he died and rose again, that his love for you is able to forgive you of all your sins? Do you believe that? If you believe all that sweeping story, and you should, it's true, then believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you one of those who has believed? Are you one of those who has said, Jesus, I believe, take away my sins, forgive me. Please, I want to be ready because he holds the keys, we're told. He holds the keys to death and the grave and you want to be on the side of the one who's saying, I can free you. I can forgive you. He's going to appear a second time not to bear sin, we're told in Hebrews, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you waiting for him? So church, let's stand and let's, let's pray to him right now. Guys, this, this is what I'm going to be praying every week as we go through this series. That Let's just pray it right now. Jesus, here's what we're praying. Jesus, would this book fix our eyes on you like maybe never before? Reawaken worship in us, Lord. Just grow our capacity to worship you. Oh, Jesus, we just want to be enamored. We want to fall in love with you. We, we want tears, genuine tears to stream down our cheeks because we believe you. And, and Jesus, I pray, I pray, would Veritas Church, like, recalibrate. Like, like, may we become such a witness. May we be such a lampstand. Lord, may the, the gospel of Jesus Christ go out from this place the light of hope. There are a whole lot of people all around us, Lord, that feel like they're just a wretch, feel like they're just unforgivable. No, there's amazing grace. It's so sweet, the sound of it. Oh, Jesus, let the gospel go out from this place, even to the ends of the earth. Jesus, let us believe as maybe we've never believed before. And maybe for some in the room, it's the first time they've ever even considered it. Jesus, you're coming back. You've told us that, and we believe it. We believe it. So help us, Jesus, to order our lives such that we're ready, and we're waiting, waiting. And so, Jesus, fill this place with worship because you deserve our worship right now. We want to be exhilarated in the way that we worship you. The Lamb the King, the Savior, the Deliverer, Jesus. Fill this place with the worship that you deserve.